Well, I wonder if you've ever heard someone say, she can't see the forest for the trees. You ever heard that? Or maybe you've heard somebody say that he is so deep in the weeds that he doesn't know which way to go next. Uh, sometimes in life we get so bogged down on the details, the daily struggle, the grind of life, the urgent matters, that we don't see the big picture. We don't see the purpose of life. We don't see the end of the race. We don't see the forest for the trees. We, we are so deep in the weeds, we don't know where to turn next. And this is a real problem, a pervasive problem. In so many areas of life, I know that when I uh, perform a wedding, uh, one of the things that I try to say to the, uh, to the bride and the groom, usually about two weeks before the wedding, is that you need to focus on what's really happening here. Because you're worried about the cake and you're worried about the seating and you're worried about the flowers and you're worried about all of these details. And it, if you're not careful, the wedding will become about all of the details and not about God's putting together a new family here that can be a picture of the gospel of Christ and be a blessing of, of generations. And so I remind them about two weeks out. And then about two hours out, they have forgotten, so I remind them again. Sometimes we have to stop and recognize that the real purpose, the goal that we have can get lost in the weeds. If you've ever taken your family on a long vacation drive and you have little children, you know how this works. And so children struggle to have perspective during the drive, right? And so they complain about how far it is. They complain about being stuck in the car. They complain because their brother or sister has gone over the imaginary line, the, uh, uh, the no uh, battle zone in the car. Uh, they complain about the food, the number of restroom stops, and they lose sight of the destination. Church, we do that as Christians, and it's a much more serious matter than just complaining in the backseat of a car on the way to Disney World. Christians are guilty of the same approach. When we get bogged down with the details of life, the disappointments, the grind, and we fail to see what the Lord's ultimately trying to do. We fail to see what the Lord is preparing for us and preparing us Four, we forget life's purpose in its destination. And because of that, sometimes we just cave under the pressure. Things get so hectic. There's so much to do. There's so many fears. There are so many things that could go wrong. There could be so many people complaining and pushing and griping. And, and we, we lose sight. We lose the perspective on all that God wants to do. But there is another way to live. We can get out of the weeds. We can have a different perspective. I'm going to show that to you. That's the point of the message this morning. But let me just give you 
a glimpse inside the life of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to come back to these verses I'm going to read in a moment. But let me give you a glimpse into his life because I want you to see that he was going through all of life's most difficult pressures. He was going through the grind, but he still had a perspective. Uh, so listen to this. Uh, the first couple of verses, I just want you to listen. We're, we're not even going to show these to you on the screen. We're going to come back to them, but... Just listen to this in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1. Paul says, we don't want you to be unaware of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. And we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, I can't think of stronger language to say that life was hard. But then when we get to chapter four and he expands on that, he says in verses eight and nine, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. You see, he was able to keep the focus. He was able to keep his vision on what God was trying to accomplish in his life, the big destination, the purpose of life, and he didn't get bogged down in the hardships from day to day. Now, how did Paul do that? Well, as we began to talk about last week, Paul looked at life through resurrection lenses. He, he looked at life, everything in life, from the perspective of the fact that Christ is risen from the grave. So how do we go through our life difficulties, our pressures, all of the urgencies in our lives and not get bogged down and lose focus on the destination? Well, we have to learn to, to look at life through resurrection lenses. So let me read the passage and we started on this last week and didn't finish. I don't know how that happened, but uh, we're going to look at some verses that we've already looked at, but I want us to get a running start and see this whole truth. So we're going to begin reading in uh, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. The scripture says, now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are the clay jars that he speaks of there. We're weak, we are fragile, we are temporary. And what's interesting is that we are weak on purpose. God could have made us sturdier. God could have made us stronger. God could have made us more resilient to temptation, to illness, to, to discouragement, to everything. But he didn't. He didn't. God made us weak. We are clay jars, breakable, fragile, clay jars. Why has God made us so weak? So that when we lean on God, we depend upon God in our weakness, we are better able to illuminate his strength and his peace and his provision. See, it's when we are weak that we can show that he is strong. One more lesson that I want you to see in verse 7 that we didn't have time for last week. 
And we'll pull the pieces together in a moment. But listen to this. The treasure in the jar, in the clay jar, is what makes the jar valuable. So these jars are valuable. Not because there's something special about the jar, but because there's something special about what's in the jar. There's not anything special about me or you. What is what makes me special, what makes you special, is that we have the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the gospel. We didn't read it, that's in verse 6. And it's that treasure in us that makes us valuable, valuable. I read one commentator this week that I just wanted to quote because he said it so well. He said, in places, my skin is scarred and wrinkled. Uh, there are some chipped places from mistakes that I've made. And there are many things in my life that just don't match. But the most amazing thing is the treasure I bear is not diminished by the vessel. Rather, the vessel is made valuable by the treasure that it contains. We are valuable because we have the knowledge of God and the gospel. Now look at verse 8 and 9. Quickly, he says, again, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. As I shared with you last week, one Bible scholar put it this way. We're squeezed, but not squished. Bewildered, but not befuddled. Knocked down, but not knocked out. Paul never complained about his problems. And he said, though I have great problems, grave problems, he said, God has been faithful to me through the whole thing. Let's skip down to verse 14. He says, for we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present, pre present us with you. Here's the resurrection lens. And we're going to come back to this. But, but if you want to know what it means to look at life through resurrection lenses, verse 14 tells us exactly. He, look at it again. He says, for we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus, that's God. What did God do? He raised the Lord Jesus and he will also raise us. Those are the resurrection lenses. Paul woke up every morning, whatever the problems, whatever the difficulties, whatever the stress, Paul woke up every morning and said, I know that God raised Jesus and God will raise me. And he looked at his entire life through, through those lenses. Look at verse Verse 14, a little further, says Paul looks at life through the knowledge. He sees things in life by, by looking from the perspective, looking through the lens of the resurrection. Have you ever uh, stood on a fishing pier on a sunny day and you had a really good pair of polarized sunglasses. Do you, know you know what it means to look at the water with those polarized sunglasses? So if you don't, I'll explain the experience. You, you look at the water without the glasses and it's, it's just 
dirty lake water, right? You see a little bit of the shimmer of the sun, uh, but uh, the water is opaque. You don't see anything. But you put those polarized sunglasses on, and you can see right down into the water. You might see some fish swimming around or something else in that water. And, and it's the polarized lenses that allows your vision to, to pierce through the, uh, the reflections on top of the water. Well, Paul would put on these resurrection lenses and he was able to see things that nobody else could see. And I'm not talking about some mysterious thing. I'm talking about the truth. He was able to see truth that others couldn't see. What we're going to learn today is that when we put on these resurrection lenses, we're going to see truth that we couldn't see before. So hang, hang with me on that. Look, at, look down to verse 16. He says, therefore, we do not give up. We do not give up. We do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. When me or my wife complain around our home that some part of our body, our bodies, is hurting, my youngest daughter, Ray, will always ask, are you hurting because there's a problem or just because you're getting old? <laughs> well, Paul says that his outer person is being destroyed. Uh, but he says at the beginning of that verse, we do not give up. Have you ever wondered why people give up? People give up uh, their faith. Uh, we're thankful to have a church full of people and celebration and summit services both today. And, but you know, there are a bunch of people that were here 10 years ago that aren't here anymore. And I'm, I'm afraid that some of you won't be here 10 years from now. Why do people give up their faith? Why do people give up on serving God and seeking to honor God? Why do people give up on marriage and family, give up on life? Why do people give up? He says here in verse 16, we do not give up. Why do people give up? Because they fail to see life through resurrection lenses. And I'm going to tell you more about how to do that, but let's look at verse 17. He says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal, incomparable, uh, an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Now, there are a couple of contrasts here. Notice he says that there are momentary afflictions, but then, then, then there is the eternal weight of glory. So the hardships in life are momentary. That means they're not going to last forever. But the glory that we'll experience, the glory of God we'll experience, that is eternal. It lasts forever. And then he says, also here in verse 17, he calls our afflictions light, but he calls the glory of God heavy. He says our light afflictions, but the weight of glory. What he's saying is that from the perspective of time, even our greatest afflictions are going to be inconsequential. It'll be like dropping a feather on your head. But the glories of God, 
It's going to be like dropping a brick on your head. Not, not in a negative sense, but, but, it, but you're going to notice. It's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference. Look at verse 18. We do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What he's saying is don't see what is seeable, see what is unseeable. That sounds like an impossibility, but again, he's talking about these resurrection lenses. Why should we focus on what is unseen? Because what is seen is temporary, he tells us, but what is unseen lasts forever. And look at verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 1 in chapter 5. He says, for we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. So Paul is telling us that our physical bodies are like tents, temporary. They don't protect us really from the elements. There's no security in them. They're fragile. That's our, our bodies today, our very life today. But he says that we will inherit a a life and a body that is described as a building built by, built by God. Now look at verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2. Indeed, we groan in this tent desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. He says we groan, we groan. Uh, we'll come back to exactly what that means. But I, I think the interesting thing here is just that that's not true. I'm not saying it's not true for Paul. It's certainly everything in the Bible is true, but it's not true for most of us. Most of us are not groaning for heaven. Most of us, if we had a choice, would postpone it as long as we could. Most people would not sign up for it if we had a volunteer list at the front of the church. We're not groaning for heaven. We are seeking to postpone it as long as possible. But Paul says that he groans for heaven. So why would he groan for it and we seek to postpone it? Again, resurrection lenses. Resurrection lenses. So let me give you these two truths that will help us to see things through resurrection lenses. I gave you the first one last week, but I want to hit it again. And then we'll, we'll move on to the second one, which will be new. Number one, God made us weak. So we can declare God's extraordinary power. That's verse 7. We're jars of clay so that we can show the extraordinary power of God. Last Sunday, and perhaps I went too far, but I shared a little bit of a behind-the-scenes glimpse of my life from the early days of coming to know Christ and, and being called into the ministry all the way up through uh, today. And the purpose of that was not so that anyone would feel bad for me or worry about me. The purpose of that was this, that you could see in my weakness how God has been faithful. Does that make sense? You can see in my struggles the wonderful, incredible faithfulness of God. I was telling my Sunday school class this morning about a conversation I had a while back with, uh, with, with somebody. It's been a little while. Uh, but it was somebody who had struggled with infertility. 
And I know that uh, many in our church, uh, even today, are struggling with that. And Mother's Day can be a particularly hard day uh, for those who struggle. Uh, I have prayed and others have prayed specifically for you this morning. Uh, we meet here at 7 o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings, right here, most days, right here. And uh, we pray for our services, and we prayed especially for those who struggle uh, with infertility on this uh, with the pain that they may face on Mother's Day. Now, uh, my wife and I struggled uh, with infertility for a year or so or longer, I don't recall exactly. And it was discouraging uh, for both of us, especially for my wife. And we prayed and we prayed and, and God, God blessed. And uh, we, had, um, we had a child and then another child and, and uh, then through a, another way, we got another child, and we're mostly thankful for those children. <laughs> we like the last one, you know. <laughs> but somebody had shared with me, it was somebody a little older, and she said that she had gone through some, she and her husband through some infertility issues, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And God didn't give them a baby. She was heartbroken for years. And she said, I wish I had one of these glorious infertility testimonies that, that others have. And I said, no, you have a glorious infertility story. Because what, you, what your story is, is that you were a clay jar and you were weak. And God left you a clay jar, but he was faithful to you and to your husband. And he gave you strength and peace and joy through it all. See, that's the story that brings glory to God in a special way, right? We, we share our weaknesses so that the glory of God can be seen uh, in, his, uh, in his faithfulness to us. Uh, so uh, why did God choose me? For the great privilege of standing in this pulpit this morning. And why didn't he choose someone who had a more godly start and wiser ministry training in the beginning? Uh, why didn't God choose someone who was brilliant, disciplined, smooth talking, outgoing, type A, tall, handsome, winsome with a head full of thick hair? <laughs> because in our weakness. He is glorified. Listen to how Paul said it um, again in verse 7. We have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God to us. So if you have cracks or chips or areas in your life where the pain is smudged or worn, perhaps that is by the design of the Lord so that you can better bring honor to him. I love the way Paul said it in his first letter to the church at Corinth. He said, consider your calling. Consider your calling. Not many are wise. Not many are powerful. Not many are of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish, weak, insignificant, and despised so that no one may boast 
but rather that all boasts will be in the Lord, in the Lord. That's why God has made us weak. Now, let me get to the, let me get to the next point. God gave us a future promise that sustains us through present trouble. So something odd stood out to me as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 a number of times. Uh, Paul here, he never complains about his hardship. He, he never complains about his affliction. He mentions it, but if you read the chapter, uh, even when he mentions it, he doesn't mention it as a bad thing. Of course, affliction is not ever good, but he mentions it as simply an opportunity for him to bring glory and honor to God. He, he wasn't complaining about his difficulty. He said, I, I go through difficulty, but God is renewing me day by day, he says, so that people can see the work of God in my life. Now, do you want to know how Paul could be so positive when life was so difficult? Well, I'm a broken record, but I'll say it again. He looked at things through resurrection lenses. He didn't, I'm going to tell you how to do that. He didn't look at what was seen. He looked to what was unseen. Verse 18. He didn't focus on what is seen. What is seen? Well, uh, I've got a problem with my job. Well, I've, uh, I'm in a fuss with my wife. Well, uh, my, uh, my doctor gave me bad news. Well, I'm discouraged. I'm disappointed. See, those are the things you can see. Paul looks through resurrection lenses. He looks not at the things you can see. He looks at the things that are unseen. What's unseen? That's the eternal glory of God and the promised eternal life that's before us. It says in this passage that he knew his affliction was momentary and light, and, he, and it didn't compare to the absolute eternal weight of glory. How did he know that? How did he know that this life didn't compare to the life that was to come? Because of the resurrection of Christ. You see, if Christ isn't resurrected, then, then this is all there is. But if Christ has been resurrected, and I'll look at everything that happens in my life through that lens, Christ is resurrected, and God's going to bring the same resurrection in my life, and I'll spend eternity with him forever because I'm a child of God, that changes the equation on everything, on everything. Paul knew that his body and his life was just a temporary tent, but that he had, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, he had a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. How did he know that? Because Christ was resurrected. And if Christ is resurrected, he said he's coming back for the rest of us. And so he had that confidence because he looked at life through resurrection lenses. Now, I want to give you three ways three ways to do that. It might sound good. I'm going to look at life through resurrection lenses, but how can, how can I practically do that? Let me give you one, two, three, what the scripture teaches. First, strength in this life comes through cultivating a longing for the next life. 
So you'll have strength in this life, not just because you are aware of the resurrection, but because you cultivate this love and this longing for the life that's to come. Look back at verse 17, 417. Our momentary light affliction is producing for us this absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. He was thinking about what's, what's going to happen in the next life. If we desire to live a life of strength and perseverance and not give up in this life, we need to have such a, such a longing cultivated longing for the life to come. My family's taking a vacation in a few weeks and I'll tell them my wife, um, every day, multiple times a day, late into the night, even after I've fallen asleep, she is watching YouTube videos about the vacation destination. She is an expert at this location. She could tell you everything about it. She could get a PhD in this uh, vacation. Now, why is she doing that? We've actually been there before. Why is she doing this? She is cultivating a longing. She is so excited about this. And it's because she's been thinking about it every day, every day. How do we cultivate a longing for eternal life? Well, let's go to the next point. Every day we must choose to turn our focus from what is seen to what is unseen. It's a conscious decision. I'm not going to just focus on the problems, the pain, the disappointment, the urgent matters. I'm going to focus on my eternal reward, my eternal reward every day. We ought to focus on heaven. We ought to ask people about heaven. We ought to, we ought to read and search the scripture about heaven. I love this, uh, I think it was this week, maybe it was the week before, uh, Melanie, our children's minister, uh, reached out to me and said, uh, a lot of my kids are asking questions about whether or not their pets are going to heaven. And I think she just wanted to pass off the hard questions so she wouldn't be uh, the bad guy. But uh, so... I wrote, I wrote something. I wrote something so that others could, uh, others could read it. It's on my, on my website. You can look at it if you're interested. But, but the point of that is I loved that they're asking questions about heaven. See, what are they doing? They're cultivating a longing for heaven. Uh, endurance is based on our ability to look beyond the physical to the spiritual, beyond the present to the future, beyond, the, beyond what is just right in front of us to what God has promised, promised to us. I uh, could give a thousand illustrations. My, my favorite one, and you've probably heard this multiple times, but years ago, I uh, went to get tubes in my ears. I get tubes in my ears a couple of times a year uh, just something I like to do. It's a hobby of mine. And <laughs> so I was at uh, Ohio State University Hospital and I got some guy that was busy to go and I had to have tubes because I was flying somewhere the next day. And he said, um, I, uh, he said, we're not going to deaden your ear. Uh, 
he said, well, it's not necessary. And um, I thought, well, not necessary for you. <laughs> so he told me, he said, this is going to hurt, uh, which I knew that. I'm <laughs> but he said, it's only going to hurt for seven seconds. And you know what I thought? I can bear anything for seven seconds. And so I grabbed hold of my whatever I grabbed hold of. I don't know, the chair or something. And, and sure enough, he was right, seven seconds. Now, had he told me, I'm going to do this and it may cause some pain that will last the rest of your days, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't have made it to second number eight. But it was, it was the fact that, that I, I, I knew that the future held no pain that I was able to survive the pain of the present. And so if we choose to focus on eternity, we will have strength to endure um, our present. And then the third thing, a dissatisfaction with this earthly life uh, creates a longing for heaven that is a good thing. A dissatisfaction with this earthly life that creates a longing for heaven is a good thing. Now, we usually think of dissatisfaction as a terrible thing. Nobody wants to be dissatisfied. But in at least one area, dissatisfaction is not only not bad, but it's good. It's something that we should embrace. Now, look at verse 2 again. He says, we groan. Is groan a positive thing or a negative thing? Well, groan is negative. You're dissatisfied. You're unhappy. You're discontent. Paul says we groan. We're unhappy. We're unsatisfied. We're discontent in this tent. But we groan desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Paul says, I, I think about it every day. I can't wait for the resurrection. Now, he wasn't putting himself in harm's way or... Um, uh, he, he said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Um, but he groaned. He looked so forward to the vacation. He looked so forward to the rest in heaven. We are to groan for heaven. We're to long for it, thirst for it, be desperate for it. We are uh, to anticipate heaven like a kid waiting for Christmas. Uh, like a bride waiting for her wedding, like a grandmother of sons waiting for her first granddaughter, like a Texas A&M football fan waiting to play. Oh, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to say that. I thought I had marked that out. Um, now listen, Psalm 42. I love this psalm. First two verses, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When, look at how this ends, when can I come and appear before God? You know what the psalmist was asking? How many more minutes? <laughs> How many more minutes? When are we going to be there? How many more minutes? How many more minutes? How many more minutes? That's the psalm. The psalmist said, Lord, how many more minutes? See, he was, he was dissatisfied with this life, and he was groaning for the life to come. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 6, 21. Blessed are you who are hungry. 
because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep because you will laugh. What he's saying is, blessed are you. If you recognize that this life is not enough because you are going to long for the life that is to come and it will satisfy. I read one writer this week who said, we are so glutted on the second-rate happiness of this world that we are too full to hunger from God. We need to be dissatisfied. We need to be discontent. If your life, if you think it is perfect, if you don't want to leave it because it is exactly what you dreamed of, listen, you are short-sighted. You are in the weeds. You don't understand that what God has for us is so much greater. And you should cultivate a desire for the life to come. So I give you an instruction. When we face trouble, hardships, dark days, we should embrace the fact that the world is hard, broken, and painful. And we should look with great anticipation on the world and the life to come. I'll read a couple of other verses from the psalm, Psalm 73, 25. Who do I have in heaven but you, O Lord? And I desire nothing on earth but you. That's where we need to, to be. Psalm 63, 3. Psalmist says, my lips will glorify you. Why? Because your faithful love is better than life. Your faithful love is better than life. So sometimes we the way we perceive things changes everything. You can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. You get too much in the weeds. We need to lift our eyes and look to the Lord and his promises for those who are children of God. Now, let me tell you how to embrace this quickly, but just practically. There are two ways we do this. We look backwards and forwards. So we have to look backwards to the resurrection of Christ. Christ was crucified. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sins. He rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. We look back and we have to choose to trust what Christ has done for us and to surrender to him. That's how we become children of God. We look back to the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now, that has to happen first. Okay, if you don't look back, trust Christ, then you can't do the second part, this looking forward. So if you have never looked back, if you have never just risked your life on the fact that Jesus has died, and that's enough for the forgiveness of your sins, surrendered to Christ's lordship, you should do that today, now. Ask Christ to forgive you. Ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. So that's the look back. The other part is the look forward. What is forward for all of those who are children of God? Forward is the promise. The promise that God is going to give us an eternal life in the heavens with him. That'll satisfy us. So I've got a little exercise uh, I want us to do. If you will, bow your head and close your eyes, both services. I want to read something to you 
And I, I'm asking you to bow your head. I'm not trying to just be extra emotional, but I, I just don't want you to have any distractions. I want you to focus on the words. Second Corinthians 5.1, we know that if our earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, that we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Matthew 5.12, be glad and rejoice because your reward, your reward is great in heaven. First Peter 1.4, our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it is kept in heaven for me. Revelation 7, they will no longer hunger, they will no longer thirst, the sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat, for the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them, and he will guide them to springs of waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. John 14, 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Hebrews eleven sixteen. they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Luke 23, Jesus said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Just head bowed, eyes closed. Let me read a little further. In heaven there will be no more sin, no more temptation, no more depression, discouragement, disappointment, no more shame, no more guilt, no more regrets. No more pressure, stress, anxiety. No more pain, illness, or disability. No broken relationships. No loss, no death, no fear. There will be nothing you will wish for because every desire will be fulfilled. You will behold the glory of God and find your fullest satisfaction in Him. You will join friends and family who knew and lived for the Lord in your worship of the Lord. And you will be embraced by Christ. Psalm 27, 4. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. I have asked to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on his beauty and seeking him in his temple. Father in heaven, Don't let us fail to see the forest for the trees or get in such high weeds that all we see are the problems and struggles and urgencies of life. But keep our hearts and our minds focused on you. Let us every day, like putting on those polarized glasses, let us look at life through resurrection lenses and see things others can't see. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In both services, let's stand together.